We're going to start the question period a little bit early because we think there might be quite a few questions. Uh, I should also mention that uh, if you don't feel comfortable coming to the mic, write me a little note and I will make sure it gets asked. Uh, before we get started, I'll just mention uh, that if you're interested in buying a membership, Annalise is really happy to take money from us. It makes her day. <laughs> and next week's uh, topic is why, no, women in science. It's uh, International Women's Day next Thursday, by the way. So the, the topic we're addressing is uh, women in science. Why are there relatively few? And the speaker is uh, Jennifer Mather from uh, the university. So I think she has some pretty strong opinions on that uh, topic. So I advise you to come and uh, check it out. Uh, I should also mention that we have a session tonight that we are co-sponsoring, so to speak, without having to pay anything. <laughs> so the reflections on land use in Alberta uh, the Honorable Minister for Environment, Parks and Climate Change, Shannon Phillips, is speaking at the university uh, in, uh, in the library at the university. It might be hard for people to find who is not familiar with the place, but if you know where the, sign, uh, the library building is, it's just inside to the left. There's a room there called um, L1060. There's a fair amount of room in, in that uh, particular class. Uh, I think we can fit 100 people in. So the class that Bruce McKay is uh, sharing this session with us for is uh, probably about 30 people. So there'll be plenty of space for most, most people I want to go, I think. Anyway, uh, without further ado, I we can start the question period, and and uh, as you all know, uh, this is a question period. It's not necessarily uh, to voice a lot of your own opinions. So, <clears throat> please state your name before you uh, ask the question. I'd like to invite uh, Katharina back up. Please give her a warm hand. Hi, Katharina. Hi. My name is Henning Mundell. A quick question. Were you in Canada during the whole Harper era? Uh, I was in Canada during the end of the Harper era. Okay. The reason I'm asking is because at that time, probably maybe after you came, we had almost the opposite of what's happening here. For example, the defunding of programs that had been funded in the past, like Kairos, because overseas they were... Um, helping women with, with abortion and uh, advising for birth control and things like that, and their funding was cut. Now it looks like we're sort of on a pendulum, and now we have a different government with different philosophy and ideology. Maybe we've swung another way. Do you think we're, that's my question now to you, do you think we're in a situation where depending on the ideological basis of the government, we're going to have a swinging back and forth of pendulum in that connection? Um, 
So I think that that's going to be the case for any, maybe even for rights that have started to be constitutionally enshrined, but definitely for any cases, uh, for any rights that are part of Canadian law, not for constitutional reasons. And I'm not even, sh even though I have a definite side on where I stand in abortion rights and so on, I'm not sure that's necessarily bad, right? We do want to be a democratic country, and that means that um, apart from some things to which the majority opinion shouldn't go, like freedom of conscience, for example, apart from those things, um, the government sh should do what it is elected to do. And so when funding, funding decisions are made, that should reflect what the majority of Canadians wants. Now, I'm not going to... I'm not going to stand here and say the democratic system in any of the Western country works especially well, but at least in theory, it's not necessarily a bad thing that funding decisions are made depending on who's in charge, and that who's in charge depends on who got voted into charge. Is that, does that help? Terry Shellington, uh, yeah, Henning and I had some conversations about this. I, my comment at the mic is different, and, uh, and I realize this is a question period, not a sermon period, but, but I just want to state a position and invite you to respond. In the end, it comes to me, it comes down to the question of what kind of country do I want to live in? I witnessed the, the harsh measures of the Harper era around some of these things in which their overseas policies and their defunding of Kairos seem to contradict the, uh, the um, uh, general consensus among Canadians, because they, they, of course they didn't have a majority of the popular vote. Uh, in the end, uh, what country do I want to live in? I'd like to live in a country in which a variety of views are possible and variety of uh, believing groups are funded, and I, I think we will work at holding the government uh, uh, accountable to, to fairness and, uh, and tolerance, uh, but I, I'd sooner live in a country of diversity with all its untidiness than have um, someone in order tell me uh, tell me what I can believe and what I can't, and right. I mean, yeah, maybe we should clap. <laughs> I, um, that's that's great. I would I would agree to basically everything you said, um, which is why. When I read the attestation first, and I read it as this is the government asking us to say that we believe certain things in order to get funding, I thought, wow, this is a big problem. And only after I read the clarifications and so on did I think maybe it's really not that big a problem. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Now I'm not sure anymore. Um, when it comes to the Harper era, I mean, I'm not... I, <laughs> I'm, I can't say that I would be happy if Harper came back and redid all the things he did again. But that's why I would vote against it if at one point I'm going to get allowed, become allowed to vote. Um, maybe this helps. There is something called the Wallheim Paradox. And the Wallheim Paradox goes like this. If I agree to a decision-making procedure that is fair, and that decision-making procedure takes into account more than my view, like, for example, a voting procedure, right? Then I seem to be coming into a paradox every time the vote goes the way that I don't like it. It seems to be the case that I believe that 
policy A should be enacted, then I vote for policy A, the vote comes out for policy B, and now I seem to believe on the one hand that policy A should be enacted, on the other hand, because I like the procedure also that policy B should be enacted, how can that be? How can it be that I believe both that A is the case and that B is the case? How can it be that I believe both that abortion rights should be strengthened and I believe that this Harper conservative whatever government was enacted through a good democratic process and it doesn't and it doesn't strengthen abortion rights and that, that that happens is also right that seems to be contradictory but i think everybody who's everybody who's committed to the democratic idea right gets into this contradiction all the time every time a democratically elected government does something that we wouldn't vote for we're in the contradiction of having to say we we don't want this to happen on the ground as the thing that is happening, but we do want it to happen because we have agreed that this is how we make our decisions as a country. And so we can be against the way that the government gives out this funding. We can say it's wrong that it cuts funding for women's rights advocates, or it's wrong that it cuts funding for people that try to present arguments against abortion. We can say that, and we can at the same time say but it's right too, because this government was elected in, in the right kind of way, and I agreed that it's gonna make these decisions. And so when it makes these decisions, those are the decisions we're gonna follow until I finally get the chance to vote again and maybe throw it out, and then it'll, the next one will do what I like it to do. Does that, I don't know if that helps, but I think that's how we can think about it. Unless, of course, we get to an issue that is so important that the Supreme Court puts it into constitutional law, which means that it's being put beyond majority decision. And there are certain things that should be put beyond majority decision, right? No one, the majority shouldn't decide whether or not you're allowed to live according to your own consciences or religion and so on, and therefore we don't make that part of what we can choose on democratically. Hi, my name is Peter Beal. Uh, and my, my two questions are, first of all, why uh, should, uh, if you believe in the separation of church and state, why should any government money flow to any religious organization? I mean, we have thousands of sects, so it just gets things scattered. That's the first point. And the second point from news articles that I read is, why would protesters, you know, they have every right to protest against abortion clinics and things like that, but why would any of those people have to be paid? Shouldn't it be out of their own feeling, you know, or, or religious conviction that they would oppose and not need money from, from any organization to do that? Those are my two questions. Maybe I'm allowed to reach deep into my atheist soul to answer this. <laughs> to me, being religious, um, is to, ha is, is to have your conscience tell you a certain thing or a certain set of beliefs. To me, that's, this, that's on the same level as my conscience who tells me other sets of things that I have to follow. If I, out of my conscience, start an organization that does something good, if I, start a, if I being an atheist and not belonging to a church, start a soup kitchen, and then the state says, well, if you want to employ students to do something good, we're going to give you some funding, then I can apply and get that funding. If someone else out of their, con of, out of their conscience decides to do something good, maybe because 
they believe in Jesus Christ or be because they're Muslim, if they do that out of their conscience and they start a soup kitchen, why shouldn't they be able to do the same thing that I did out of my non-Christian conscience? That's, I think, why it's, it's completely okay that religious groups get monies that support if they do, that support them if they do things that anyone could also do, not out of a religious, religious conscience, or just out of the belief that it's the right thing to do. And I think I might be able to extend that argument, though I'm not sure, you'll have to tell me if it works. I might be able to extend that argument to expressions of opinion, right? I think if I think up a really good argument for women rights or gay rights or something, and I wanna bring that argument out there, and the government says, we want, a public that forms their opinion with the best arguments available. So we're gonna fund people who think really hard and then find a good way to explain to people what their arguments are. Then I can apply for that funding. Now, should it make a difference whether my argument is based on secular beliefs or on religious beliefs? No, if it's a good argument, and if there's funding for presenting good arguments, I can present them either way. But that doesn't mean that it's not possible for the government to say certain kinds of arguments we don't want to have our hands in, right? And that's, I think, what it does when it says we do not want to fund people who use the money to print posters against abortions. It says, of course you can make those arguments. You have freedom of expression, but we don't want to give our money to that. And I, and I think that's what I tried to say. Right now we can scratch our heads and say, isn't that, isn't that wrong? Shouldn't the best argument win and not the most money? And doesn't the government skew for the, for the public eye which arguments they're gonna see and which they're not gonna see if they fund some and not others? And yes, that's problematic, but that's, I think, a problem that is much bigger than the problem of this specific attestation because that is something that the government and all kinds of government funded organizations do literally all the time, right? We have, we have Catholic schools that are funded by government money and that's, that's another way to give money for opinions to be promoted. Now, we can either say we don't want any of that or we have to live with the fact that how that money is given to, for opinions to be promoted is part of the democratic process. And therefore, if one government gets voted in for their beliefs, they're gonna fund the opinions that work with those beliefs. And if we don't like it, we should go and vote. Sorry. <laughs> Got a little heated at the end there. Douglas Mitchell. Katharina, I'd just like to know, where do you do your undergraduate studies? Where? In Hamburg, in Germany. Yeah, I, I guess Bonn, but... <laughs> yeah, it's very good. close. Uh, I'd like to follow up on this question of religion. Uh, I knew that Peter was <laughs> is all steamed up about, uh, about the confusion between the church and state support. I think many of the people here are churchgoers, as I am, not a theologian, but at the same time, you look at the mess we're in with the, the various Christian denominations, never mind the Muslims and all the, all the other faiths. Uh, what do we believe? We say, yes, we believe in Jesus, but basically we believe in the Bible. And the Bible has no mention of abortion or much about uh, other, other uh, people in the LBGT community and I say that and, and when you look at uh, funding Bible camps 
again, there are extremes of belief between what we feel is important, which is mission and helping children grow up and, and accept the, the, the kind of beliefs that we have. And I really would like to see that. And, and a, the question that really basically gets back to this word attest attestation. And what exactly does that mean in terms of how you give this money out? And the focus has all been on abortion and, and, and LBGTQ rights. I'm in favor of both. Not, not, I, I should say I'm liberally minded in, in both of these things. But I would just like a little more discussion of how important is it, is it what we believe uh, in our faith world and, and how is that coming across to us? We, we've got a great spread of different denominations with different beliefs and spread. And I think this is just, com uh, just complicating the issue when we get too closely focused on what we as Christians believe and, and leave room for the other faiths as well. Right. Oh, it's just, ah, yeah, it's still on. Sorry. Um, I think, I think the problem is a serious problem. If someone, so first of all, what we can all understand is that um, having to say something or attest to something or swear on something or do do some kind of representative act that gives the mess that gives a message that we be morally believe in something that we think is actually morally reprehensible throws us into a conflict of conscience. We can probably all see that, right? If 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 you're a Christian and someone tries to force you to spit on the cross, that is about as heinous a thing to force you to do as you can imagine. Even if someone says, well, you don't have to mean it, it doesn't change that it's incredibly hard to do this. And I think those kinds of problems don't just exist for religious groups. Those kinds of problems exist for everyone who takes morality seriously. So being asked to say certain things or do certain things that go completely against what you believe is morally right is really very hard. And so if the attestation does that, then I can see the argument and I think it's a good argument to say, well, I cannot possibly sign this. If you make me sign this, you make me say something that I believe is deeply wrong and I can't live in that conflict of, of, of conscience. And for that reason, I think it's important that the government try to make it about action. And for that reason, I think the argument, well, but putting in a definition and but leaving the language the same still puts me into some kind of problem is also not a specifically bad argument. I'm not sure how strong it is still, but it definitely is one. And I think we have to take this seriously. And there it's important what, what we believe. And for that reason, I think, um, while I agree that what the government funds and what it doesn't fund is its prerogative, asking people to attest to beliefs is too much even there. I don't know if, if that captures what you were asking about, but I think that's my answer. I can, Sears, and I've got two, maybe three points. Um, 
The first one is I'm not. This is not a surprise to me. That this has this controversy has erupted, although I'm surprised at the details. If you look at Canadian human rights legislation and practice, there are 13 prohibited grounds listed in that document. You go across the various jurisdictions of this country, there's something like 39. Some of them are just duplications or slightly different wording. Some of them are unique to their, their territory. But the problem is, and it's an inherent problem, and it's an inherent conflict, Every last one of those rights, every last one of those prohibitive grounds carry equal weight in their jurisdiction. There is no more weight given to freedom of religious conscience than there is to freedom of gender identity. And when you get to cases where the freedom of religious conscience, of religious belief, directly conflicts you have a real problem. And we, we still haven't found a way to work this out. I don't think this controversy actually is going to do that. The second one thing is, I think there's a bit of sophistry happening here. I think it's either a willful misreading or perhaps a naive misreading on the part of the conservatives and the religious communities that are most upset about this. And it's the word respect. The word respect means that you will allow others to hold a belief or to act in a certain way, that's their business. It does not mean that you necessarily support or that you are forced to act in such ways as to further that behavior. As I read the, the, the attestation, all it was asked for was that the signatories would respect those grounds. It does not mean that they have to uphold them. They just simply have to respect them. And so that's the second point. And the third point is, is a point of politics. Provincially, MLAs have very little say, formal say, in who gets funded for various provincial uh, programs. In this case, and traditionally, it's traditional politics, that the MP has a heck of a lot of, of, of say in their riding. And so if you get a riding, let us say, in southern Ontario, where there is a very strong fundamentalist Christian community, those MPs will... Well, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not, not trying to point, <laughs> point fingers at him. And so what we have here is also a, a, a problem of the way the funding is is being allocated. And so I'd like your opinions on those three points. If I can remember them. <laughs> um, does this work? Sounds different. Okay, sorry. Uh, if I can remember them all. Um, first about what, what I, this is something that I, th I'm going to take the middle question first because this is something that I thought about, right? Why is it problematic to say I respect abortion rights um, if I have if I have a Catholic, Catholic Christian perspective. There is Catholics for, for, for choice, so a traditional Catholic, you know what I mean. Um, and I think I, I think I have to play devil's advocate. From my, from my position, it's hard, because it really is devil's advocate. Um, I can see why you wouldn't even want to write, I respect this. I try to put myself in the shoes of someone who really believes 
and and that is not i mean this is a belief that go belongs to a coherent moral system and so i can respect that it that it is one someone who really believes that having an abortion is killing a person right um i don't believe that that's the case but i can imagine i would and then i ask myself what if the government asked me to respect the rights of people to kill their spouses when they get on their nerves which is right which might look from my perspective might look somewhat the same as from the perspective of a um, traditional or conservative catholic it looks like to us them to respect the right to have an abortion because it's the killing of a person for reasons of convenience maybe let's say we're talking about unrestricted abortion rights then i could have really big trouble Respecting that. I don't respect people's right to kill their spouses when they get on their nerves, and I don't want to have to say that I do, right? I think if we take the positions that we're dealing with, the positions of the Catholic Church here seriously, we can see why it's hard to say I respect that right, because, it's, because from that position, it's not a right that just go, is a, that's just about yourself. It's a right that's about other people. I find it harder to understand it when it's about respecting the rights of gay people, because there I can't see what, what, from what perspective a harm is done to someone else but the person about whom it is. But if you really believe that it's the killing of another person, it's very, it might be very hard to say, I respect your right to kill other people. Um, about the weighing issue. So yeah, right, all the constitutional rights are supposed to be on the same level, and then when we have hard cases, we figure it out by weighing them. And that weighing is supposed to go according to certain standards and procedures, and it is very hard every single time. And I'm not sure that, that, that having set it up that way is necessarily especially problematic. I think it might actually be the better way to set it up that way. Because um, if we think about how we make moral decisions in our everyday life, there too, right, we have a set, we all usually have a set of certain principles that we think are just morally right and that we should live by, and that are somewhere on the same level. You're supposed to be honest. You're supposed to be a good friend. Now you're planning a birthday party for your good friend and they ask you where, what you're up to. Now, are you being gonna be honest and ruin the party or are you gonna be a good friend and lie to them and say you're taking the dog out? <laughs> it's a considerably less serious issue, but again, we have to weigh different principles and we have to see how much they apply here and so on. And that's how we make moral decisions and I'm not sure that it's the wrong thing to say when we deal with really, really hard decisions of, of political morality which these constitutional case decisions and values of the Charter of Rights decisions are, right? Really hard questions of political morality. Then maybe it's a good say to say, well, that will function with weighing the way that it functions with other moral issues too, because making any strict system of rules about how to allocate them is more likely gonna lead to bad decisions than to take it case by case and try and figure out what the right thing to do is here. And now I've forgotten the last question, to be honest. The last one was probably a little bit outside of your bailiwick, but it was talking about allowing MPs to essentially have that much control over the funneling of funds into their into their into groups in their writings. Right. I don't, to be quite honest, I'm not sure. I'm, the, I'm I have expertise enough to give a good opinion on that. I'm sorry. So this is a much uh, 
much simpler uh, kind of thought idea. Um, okay, uh, basically, I think the government had the best intentions in mind when they did that. I think they did it too quickly, and I, I wonder, I just wonder possibly if they had put something else in there as well as an attestation. If they had put something in like, uh, yeah, you can have the funding, no problem, but you cannot pro uh, proselytize. You cannot, just can't. You cannot proselytize. You're a Catholic group, uh, but you cannot uh, spread, uh, you know, whatever anti-gay stuff out about your Europe. Uh, you know, that's that's what I think they should have done. I think there should have been one more step, and maybe that's simplistic, but that's what I thought was missing was a we will not proselytize. So how do you feel? Name, please. Name, oh, please. Sorry, I have to have my name. Lindy. I'm Lindy Brown. Um, I had a sim like I, I have had this simpler thought the whole time. The whole time I've thought, if that's what they meant, why is it not what they said? Right? If if you mean one, why in the world, if you realize that you have to give definitions of the concepts that you use in a sentence, don't you just put the definitions in instead of the concepts and be done with it? I don't know. I'm sure that, I mean, I, I do believe, like you do, that the government had the best intentions. What they wanted is divert funding away from something they think as a, as a moral question, morally questionable activity. They have been voted in democratically to represent that point of view, and that's what they're doing, and that's fine, and they had good intentions. And I'm pretty sure they, given that they're a liberal government, they didn't mean to force anyone to, 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 to pro to attest to an opinion that goes against their very deep core beliefs. Um, why they didn't just make that, make that clearer right away, I'm not sure. Um, and also, I'm not sure why they're not changing it now. My suspicion might be that they don't want to lose against, <laughs> that this is now a little bit of a power struggle. And to be quite honest, I'm not entirely sure that the way that um, certain members of the Catholic Church are talking about this Right, on the one hand, you ask yourself, is it entirely fair that they don't just change the wording? On the other hand, you can ask yourself, is the way that certain members of the Catholic Church react or speak about this entirely fair? And so in the end, what you can say is, why in the world can't people just be more reasonable and nice to each other? <laughs> Which is usually always a good way to, <laughs> to react to these kinds of controversies, right? But yeah, I agree. Why didn't they just do that? And then why don't the people that are against the attestation just try to make points that make it possible for the government without losing face to do something about it. Um, that is a problem that you get when you get public discussions anyways, right? Why can't people put their points in a way that makes it possible for the other party without completely losing face to change their standpoint a little bit so that we can reach a compromise? Why do you have to put your points in a way that makes it so that either the other party has to dig in and stand exactly where they were before or they will lose face and everyone will think they're a coward? That's, I think, a big part of the question. And if you go online and you read articles about this, you will see this on both sides. If you read articles about this, you will see on both sides that people formulate things in ways that just make it harder for the other side to concede even the smallest point. And that's where the argumentation theorist comes in. <laughs> uh, last question, please. My name is Justin Ellis, and I wanted to ask you if we could focus more on the process versus the, the specific content. So by attesting, the government is picking 
in my opinion, the government is picking winners and losers. Starving an organization with a certain belief system from workers and the associated dollars. They're also aiming to protect or form the ideology and belief system of our young children, the, the ones under the age of 15. Um, it also forms a new basis for normalization of a certain point of view, which could eventually form employment criteria for federally regulated areas and it also lead to eventual enshrining in our rights and, and constitution. Um, could the same process be used if accepted by us, the general population, uh, could it be used for shaping beliefs about other things like carbon pollution or other ideologies of various political parties? What do you, sorry, can I ask for a clarification? Yeah. What do you mean? Do you mean if the government asks us to attest to beliefs or do you mean if the government asks us to attest that our activities will be of a certain kind? Uh, the second. So they're u using this process by checking the box, agreeing to a certain, a certain belief or idea, uh, it, it will do two things. It'll, it'll pick which organizations thrive and how our children learn, but also uh, normalize it in such a way that it would be accepted by the general population into uh, eventual enshrining in our constitution. Okay. So um, if you mean the second, then I have to understand it as saying something like, if we, if we provide money to certain institutions that have certain opinions and, um, and, and act in ways that promote those opinions, right? Because this is now about providing money for actions, and actions are not about what you believe, but what you try to make others believe. So if we, if we refuse to give money to a set of a, if we refuse, sorry, I'm trying to formulate this exactly right. If we refuse to give money for the promotion of a set of opinions, among other opinions, then we're lowering the amount that these opinions get coverage in the public eye. That was the problem I talked about right before I got to, is this, is, does this really solve the problem with belief? Is that good? Um, no, right? Ideally, um, it, work, it would work like this. Every good argument gets the exact same coverage so that every citizen is able to, be, to think about every single good argument equally and then make their mind up based on nothing but the arguments. Ideally, there is no such thing as how much money do you get in order to publicize your material so that you can influence public opinion. That's the ideal point. It's also a utopia we cannot possibly reach if we have a government who has to allocate funds that are limited, right? This is not something that can happen. You can't make a school curriculum that will expose children to all points of view within the, what, 10 years that they go to school. It's not possible. You have to make choices. And those choices should be influenced by the democratic process. That's what we usually agree on when we call ourselves democratic people that believe in democracy. And then those choices can still be wrong, but they're legitimate. They're legitimized by the democratic process. Now, will this, right, will this cho choice that the government made 
that legitimized choice, will this lead to the population slowly changing their view and or will this contribute to the population slowly changing their view in one direction? Most likely it will. Is this problematic? On the very highest level of abstraction, the level at which we want everyone to be exposed to all arguments, it is problematic. But if we think about the way that a democratic country has to work, it's just usual business. That's, what, that's how it works. Um, can this lead eventually to the rights to abortion being enshrined in Canadian constitutional law? Yes, it can. Right? The more you enshrine the right to abortion into normal Canadian law, the more likely it is that when the Supreme Court has to make a decision that, is, that will rise, um, fall, rise or fall on whether there is a right to abortion, that the Supreme Court will say, yes, there is a right to abortion. But I think that's also not problematic. And I think it's not problematic because we have this, we, we have this system of constitutional interpretation that's called a living tree system. The idea is that um, the, the, what the Constitution mean or what the values in the Constitution mean will adapt to the progress that we, the moral and political and so on progress that we make in society and will be informed by the democratic choices that we make, right? The way that we form our collective conscience through the things that we commit to through our legislation and so on, that way should impact what the most basic part of our law says. So if the government makes an attestation like this, which further enshrines the right to an abortion into Canadian law, and if then the government gets voted in again, because the majority of people think that this is the right way to think about what's morally right and what's morally wrong, and then the government enshrines this right further, and then at some point there's a Supreme Court decision that either has to let a right to abortion exist or say it doesn't exist. And that Supreme Court decision is informed by what the democratic choices of the people of Canada have enshrined in the Canadian law already. Then even if we think, even if we think the decision is wrong, we can also think the process through which it comes about is better than the alternatives. The alternative being that the Supreme Court makes these decisions without taking into account what the collective conscience of the Canadian people says. Does this help somewhat? Yeah, and then can that move into, okay, now we've, now we've formed your belief on abortion. What about environment? Does it match what the liberals say about carbon tax? And if you're, if, can, can the same system be replicated for? Okay, um, so you ask when, sorry, I have to say it again because otherwise I think it's not on, or should I stop? Okay, so what you ask, I'm just going to repeat your question. What you ask is, once we've, once we've shaped your beliefs like that, can we then go on to the next topic and do it again? First of all, sorry, I'm a philosopher, I'm going to nitpick. What does it mean we shaped your beliefs? Right, that's what, I'm, what, what I was trying to get at when I said there's this democratic process. Who shapes whose belief and who's the government that we can ask ourselves? Of course, the, right, there's this group of people that formulates these attestations and puts them into law. But it's us, when we vote, that throw them either out of government or keep them in. And then they can either continue to do this or not. 
So we sh in some way, the entirety of the Canadian population is constantly, or every time they vote and every time they do things like this and so on, constantly engaged in making decisions about how they want to shape the beliefs of both themselves and everybody else around them. This is not a problem. I don't think it is a problem, right? As long as we do these kinds of things and argue about it and try to do this reasonably, that's a good thing. And of course it's gonna go to everything. Every, every time that the governments, or every time that legislation is enacted that starts integrating new rights into Canadian law, this is the beginning of this kind of process. Every time legislation is enacted that throws something that people thought were rights slowly out of Canadian law, it's the beginning of the opposite process. In general, if, you know, and I'm not saying this is all working perfectly, but in generally, if it works, I don't see that this process is not better than the available other alternatives. Uh, we usually uh, ask the speaker to give us a take-home question, but I think uh, you may already have given us that. On the other hand, uh, keeping in mind that uh, Majority governments in Canada is elected by very often less than 40% of the population. Do you have anything to add? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Go vote. Let's have another hand. 